left behind the dust of a city. The blight that holds shadows in the night is a sword to eyes in the light, abandoned. Once upon a time, it was red ribbon cuttings after groundbreaking ceremonies and slaps on the back from bankers and builders and political cronies that rose this building from the earth. Now it's just left behind, abandoned. Industrial complexes whose context has been stripped and shipped overseas have been scratched off the books, voided of value, abandoned. Hotels that once swelled with guests that were host to banquets and fussed over for their sheet thread count and comfy blankets are now vacant and host to only vagrants, abandoned. Whole city blocks sit to rot like brick and mortar clocks on the places that were forgotten, abandoned. Welcome to Journeyman's Journal, a trek from inner places to outer spaces in search of insights and inspirations. My guest for this episode is David Bullet, an explorer of abandoned places who has had some real adventures going to places that have been left behind by our fast moving society. And as I've said before, there is no adventure without peril. Urban exploration has become increasingly popular as an activity driven by a lot of different factors. One that I find really interesting is that humanity in recent years crossed a threshold where there are now more people living in cities than in rural areas, which means there's a lot of empty buildings, old farmhouses and little towns that are drying up that are full of abandoned places is the American economy has shifted from manufacturing to service. Many buildings that were once massive centers of, of manufacturing are now just sitting empty. And while occasionally they can be reused and repurposed far too often, they're just left to decay. This episode of the podcast does include some audio cues. So if you're new to journeyman's journal, when you hear this sound, that indicates there's more to see, which you can find by going to the Facebook or Instagram or my website. That's Journeyman's Journal on Facebook and Instagram. And the website is jmansjournal.com. J-M-A-N-S-J-O-U-R-N-A-L.com. I really want to encourage you to check out David's books and website as well. The photographs and that he collects, the stories that he's telling on his social media website and in the books is really phenomenal. If you love this podcast, text it, tweet it, post about it on Facebook, get it out there so other people can enjoy the same thing that you do here. If you love the podcast and you're feeling just a little bit generous, you can always send me a little something via Cash App using the money symbol J Man's Journal. Last but not least, I do want to offer a special warning for sensitive listeners. This episode does involve some discussion about abandoned funeral homes and burial grounds and some of the things that were found there. Now, with no more delay, let's venture into some places long forgotten and deal with some abandonment issues. Abandoned places, as our 
society continues to build and rebuild and uh, just make more, consume more, there are many things that are being left behind. Places that were once shining and brand new and put to good use are more and more falling to the wayside, being reclaimed by the landscape and slipping away from memory. My guest today, David Bullitt, explores these abandoned places, finds some incredible things, and has been on a journey that it sometimes has some extreme risks, has uncovered some pretty remarkable and uh, sometimes grim things. And it is fascinating that uh, he takes the time to go in the places that we've probably driven by a million times and never thought about. David, welcome to Journeyman's Journal. Thank you for having me. So you started exploring abandoned places about 10 years ago and have traveled all over the country looking into these forgotten locations. And you got started here in Florida. You're originally from the Miami area. And it was the uh, Deep Lake Prison in South Florida was the first place that you explored. Do you remember what it was like when you initially pulled up to that location, knowing that you were about to walk in? So when I first went there, I went in inexperienced in both photography and exploring. And I went in uh, clad in camouflage and heavy uh, boots. Um, you name it and to be honest it was not as exciting as one would think it was an overgrown small prison um, but for some reason it really pushed me into just finding out what else was out there my friend that was with me he was bored as hell mm-hmm. um, but the Deep Lake Prison was is only memorable to me because it was my first. Um, my the real first I would always point out to would be Aerojet facility down in the Everglades, and it was the first big explorer that I did. And and that's some place you've been to on a couple of occasions to explore and actually rappelled down the side of. Uh, a silo that's there is one of the uh, this is a, a rocket launch or testing facility yes um, Aerojet they were part of the space race back in the 60s 70s mm -hmm. and they wanted to get the NASA contract to be able to make the motors that get the rocket to the moon so they built three rocket motor motors and tested them there and one of the motors when they fired it was the most powerful rocket ever fired on the face of the planet until Elon Musk fired his SpaceX rocket maybe two years ago. Oh, wow. So some pretty interesting history there. Yeah. So the rocket motor is still down in the silo to this day. Mm -hmm. And the state has said that if anybody wants it, they can have it. They just have to pay for transport. They have to pay for the crane that pulls it out. They have to pay for, you know, 
they've got to do the, they, they the work to get it. They got to do the work to get it out and get it to a place that they can store it. Mm-hmm. And exploring abandoned places for you started with boredom in some ways and trying to figure out, you know, what you were going to do with your life um, kind of at a time when you didn't really have a direction that you were moving in. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> a lot of people, they do things that they're not very comfortable with or not used to out of sheer boredom a lot of times, you know, you want to step out of your comfort zone and boredom is a good uh reason to do that mm-hmm. what are some of the tools of the trade that you use obviously you had a repelling rope and and harness when you were I guess, dangling down the side of this old silo uh, heavy boots what are some other pieces of equipment or just or tools of your your craft so I tell people you want to wear boots because you're trampling over glass, nails. You have no idea how many I've, how many times I've gotten a nail stuck in my boot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I was wearing just sneakers, it would have gone right through. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a friend that actually went exploring in Yeezys, and mm-hmm. we actually explored with him at the Moanakawa Funeral Home, and he threw those shoes away covered in human feces oh wow yeah because the homeless people there were prying open the boxes of ashes Mm -hmm. and then using that as a toilet wow yes and then they were dumping that onto the floor Mm -hmm. so to get into that place we had to just trample over this human waste Mm -hmm. so good shoes good shoes um, I always tell people, um, bring a knife. Um, you never know when you're going to need it, for what reason you're going to need it. You might need it to pry out glass from your leg. Mm-hmm. Uh, you might need it to defend yourself if need be. And, you know, you're dealing with people that are homeless, desperate. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been a number of times where I've been threatened by homeless people and they come at me wielding machetes for example mm-hmm. um dogs wild dogs you have to defend yourself against them because a lot of times they are also desperate and hungry and will attack you on site mm-hmm. um so there's a number of risks that come with exploring abandoned places and that was kind of my next question was to look at um, and we talked about a little the trespassing and, and those sorts of things, but just other people who are in these spaces, uh, wildlife or wild ant- dogs that are in some of these uh, places as well. Uh, There's quite a few hazards in your exploration. Uh, yeah, and I mean, hazards such as animals. Um, there have been times where I've been trapped because we were we were at a phosphate uh, factory out in Bartow here in Florida. Mm-hmm. And th- for those who don't know, Bartow was, I guess, um, probably about 45 minutes or so from, from Tampa, Polk County. Um, huge phosphate industry out in, in that part of Florida. Yep. And there was a panther out there. Mm-hmm. And it had tracked us. And we had to stay up on top of the building. 
and we're watching it and it was making circles around the property looking for us. Mm -hmm. So you were on the menu. We were on the menu. That um, was not, I was not expecting you to, to face that kind of danger. Like I can understand the dogs, especially if you're in the city, but you do get out to some places and there's probably no cell phone service out there where you were in Bartow as well. Nope. Um, and we faced boars before. Um, mm -hmm. While boars, uh, that people don't know, a boar will gore you and kill you on site. Um, and these are more, <clears throat> and these are huge animals, two, three hundred pound, if yeah. not more animals. And people look at boars and they think, oh, they're just pigs. They don't do anything. If a boar sees you, it's gonna charge you and gore you and kill you instantly. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not gonna be a pretty sight once they find your body because after that, then they're gonna eat you. Mm -hmm. So. And that's the kind of, it, when you're out in some of these more, uh, I guess, rural areas or, you know, far out places that are kind of really being taken back by nature, it's not just the the vines and the, and the greenery that's coming back, it's also the wildlife. Yep. Other risks that you face, trespassing is one of those. You almost got hemmed up on a terrorism charge while exploring in Alabama. Yes, I did. It was at a World War II power plant but we weren't aware that they had built a water plant, an active water plant that was you know, supplying water to the city currently mm -hmm. and, and operating. And in post 9-11 America, you know, there's a, a heightened awareness of security risk and as a threat to the water supply is one of those things that is on high on the list of things to watch out for. So yeah, a bunch of guys just show up at random and start poking around in the building. If you remember after 9-11, photographers started uh, pushing this campaign saying photographers are not terrorists because mm -hmm. a lot of photogra photographers were getting charged with terrorism for simply taking pictures of buildings. Mm -hmm. That's all they were doing. But, and the fear there being that this is some kind of scouting to identify potential targets. Or yeah, something. I've had plenty of friends who have been uh, charged with terrorism for just taking pictures of bridges, mm -hmm. for example. And there are tons of people that take pictures of bridges, but as I'm, soon as they see you with an expensive camera, mm -hmm. with a long lens and you know the whole deal, then they can't understand why somebody would spend so much money on a hobby. Yeah, uh, and I've taken pictures of bridges and old buildings and and things as well. So it's you know it's it's not an unusual uh, activity at all. But I guess in this modern uh, heightened security context, well, a lot of it confuses me also because, for example, they built this very um, architecturally beautiful uh, building. Um, it was the new FBI building down south in Broward, mm -hmm. and this was very uh, a couple years ago when I lived on, down there. And people would pull off to the side of the highway and take a picture of it because it was so beautiful. Mm -hmm. And then they would be down the road; they'll be stopped by police, wondering what they're doing. And in my mind, I'm thinking, why are you making such a beautiful building if you don't want it being uh, photographed? Yeah, if they didn't want anybody to pay attention to it, they could have made it hideous like the, the Hoover building in D.C., <laughs> one yeah. of the ugliest buildings ever, uh, considered one of the ugliest buildings ever made. But, you know, so now they've built the structure and everybody wants a picture of it. And it's like, why are you looking at this thing? It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Why'd you build it like that? So that World War II power plant... Uh, what 
what do you stands out in your memory about your time exploring that place? So I didn't even get a one photo from there mm-hmm. because we almost immediately got caught by security there. He he immediately locked the door or mm-hmm. the security gate and we couldn't get back out. So he took us to the guard shack and he called the police and we waited there for about an hour. Mm-hmm. Eventually this, I would say, stereotypical uh, state trooper comes in, bald head, he's got the big, the big hat, hat. Um, he's got the, just the mustache. Mm-hmm. Mirrored aviator sunglasses yeah. and everything. Yeah. He comes in, takes off those glasses and he's like, what are you up, what's the problem here? What are your boys doing here? Mm-hmm. And the we're just we're just taking pictures and he looked at security guard and he's like you called me here just for that mm-hmm. and he sits down he writes the report his supervisor eventually comes in and he says you know what's the problem he says there's just a couple kids from florida taking photos and the supervisors told us well we we're lucky because the property sat on county line and the other police department for the other county wanted them to press charges of, you know, want to press terrorism charges because of the water plant. And the supervisor said, we're not going to do that. This, you know, it's just going to ruin their lives for people that just wanted to take pictures of the abandoned portion of the property. Mm-hmm. So he wrote up the report and the two of them told us, you know, they might come after you. So I want you two to get in your car and drive out of this county and keep on driving and never come back. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right. So they let us go with a simple warning, not even a citation or a ticket or anything. And we just got out of there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad you did. I'm glad you were not uh, really just, com- I mean, there would have been a, a terrorism charge is not an easy thing to shake. And it, I feel like it's one of those things that is certainly unnecessary uh, given the work you're doing. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to get into uh, some of the funeral homes because that is a uh, it's a it's a kind of a trend that you've identified in in the places that you've explored. David Bullet operates Abandoned Florida. And this is a website. Uh, you've got social media. Where can people find Abandoned Florida? You can find Abandoned Florida at www.abandonedfl.com or www.abandonedflorida.com. Um, you can find me on Instagram at rust.devil or at abandonedfl. And on Facebook at Abandoned Florida as well, right? Yes. And you've also put out a couple of books. I know there's an Abandoned Jacksonville. Yes, there's an abandoned Jacksonville book you can find on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, um, available now. And I have an abandoned abandoned Jacksonville volume two available September, which will be available on Amazon and Barnes and Noble as well. And you focused on Jacksonville a couple of times. Is there anything in particular about all the places that you've explored that stands out for you about Jacksonville? Jacksonville is just a very big city. 
people don't know this, but Jacksonville is actually the largest city in the U.S. Um, just on sheer size alone, not just, you know, number of people would be New York or something like that. But just sheer size alone, Jacksonville is the largest city. So with that comes a large number of abandoned buildings. Mm-hmm. And one of the trends that you've found as you've explored places, some of which are in Jacksonville, uh, but across the country, is that there are a number of abandoned funeral homes, particularly African-American funeral homes that have um, has fallen by the wayside. What, what do you think is going on with that trend in particular around funeral homes? Um, to be honest, what it is is that a lot of people just don't care for and there's just less care for African Americans this is not an opinion it's a fact and it's a fact that's well documented throughout the entire country systemic racism yeah is cropping up even with the abandonment of places that they aren't being I guess picked up by a new owner or passed yeah. on or you know it also has to do with the financial aspect of it also you have been to numerous funeral homes where uh, they have, um, again, become abandoned. Nobody is, is operating them regularly anymore and had and found some pretty shocking things in some cases. The funeral home in North Carolina, uh, where the director was eventually um, hauled in the court over missing bodies, you found quite a bit uh, of pho- photographs and other um just items that were left behind in this place years after it, it had uh, been shut down. Yeah, we explored this funeral home in um, North Carolina. It's off the side of the road. You wouldn't even tell that it was a funeral home because it looked like a truck stop instead of mm. a funeral home. And years before, the funeral director was operating it and she was paid to cremate two bodies. And he, those bodies never got cremated and she wouldn't repay the families or give them back the bodies. Mm-hmm. And eventually the family have, had to take her to court, sue her, um, to just find out what the location of their family members. And she told them that she had closed the business by now for over two years. Mm-hmm. And she told them the bodies were back at the abandoned funeral home. So police went in, they went into the back of full hazmat suits and they found a body on an embalming table both of the corpses are rotting and you could only imagine how two years in the North Carolina heat would be mm-hmm. one on the embalming table one in a casket they removed the bodies she got put in jail and now she's out free making I think pecan pies wow that's just um, it's kind of a staggering thing to hear that because uh, there's a lot of trust in that, you know, I mean, yeah. and but this is not an uncommon theme. Uh, there's uh, the uh, the underground mausoleum, the uh, down in Alabama that you, that was kind of built. It was supposed to be kind of a low cost alternative for uh, a number of people to have burials. And um, it turned out that place was on face you know a great solution for a number of people but it was really a facade that this whole uh mausoleum was set up around about what the what their burial practices yeah it was supposed to be revolutionary and that the owner um 
put a mausoleum underground so you get the both the best of both uh wards you know being buried underground mm -hmm. and being buried in a mausoleum and he when he died the property got moved over to his wife and when she died the state took it over and to them it's just another property mm -hmm. so eventually people started catching on that the there was an abandoned funeral home and that there are still bodies inside. Mm -hmm. And so it, the news got around quick. Thankfully, I got there at the start of that news spreading when I was spreading across Facebook, Reddit, 4chan, and other urban exploring forums. I got there first. I actually have photos of the one of the bodies. Um, the other bodies, you can tell that they weren't embalmed right mm -hmm. or that they weren't uh, buried right because once you open the casket even though the bodies were buried there for 11 12 years mm -hmm. they still had meat on them mm. and there was maggots on a lot of them meaning that there are flies getting into the caskets so this is some place where this is not long the long dead history or any this is still a kind of in some ways an active place yeah mm -hmm. and we did what we could we called the police mm -hmm. and told them look you have bodies here and you really need to get them out you know because they're getting ransacked and they said okay we'll send somebody to take care of it nothing happened a year you know weeks go by and people keep on exploring it and mm -hmm. they keep on calling police on it you know the attention of the police saying there are bodies here and people are ransacking it one of the skulls from one of the bodies it went missing because of that mm -hmm. eventually my friend who is in the funeral business he got tired of it he actually called fbi to his local fbi office and then they got in, in touch with the office where the funeral home was located mm -hmm. they got department of justice and you know they told them they're grave robbing mm -hmm. take care of this now so I actually had someone there at the time who was exploring it. There was an abandoned house across the street. He was across the street in the abandoned house. And he just messaged another friend of mine. You know, it's a big circle that we have. Mm -hmm. He messaged another friend of mine and he told him there was just a whole caravan of unmarked trucks and vans that went into the funeral home. Mm -hmm. And that was actually the feds going in and also the local police department going in and getting the bodies out of there and locking it up mm -hmm. so this isn't just about exploration for you when you see some place like that uh, that funeral not even just a funeral home but a mausoleum uh, that is being desecrated you you and your your uh, your network your colleagues kind of took some action to bring it into that I mean, we tried our best, but in police and the news, they told them, oh, we we have no idea. We had no idea that there were bodies there. We were never told there were bodies there, even though one of the people that called them was a district attorney in Birmingham. Mm -hmm. And, you know, <clears throat> that's what I go back to, that the, the people there that were buried there were, of course, what you mentioned, were probably poor a lot of them were homeless and they're of course african-american mm -hmm. and 
the police department just never cared about them. Even though they got probably upwards to 30 calls, mm -hmm. they just never cared about them until, of course, FBI got involved. Mm -hmm. And I've, it seems like that care is, I, in some ways, a, another underlying theme here that a lot of these places, um, the, the silo with the rocket engine in it, the funeral homes, the old hotels, that these are places that once were probably greatly cared for, but now just, you know, time has moved on, you know, society has moved on, and nobody cares about these places anymore. I would, I don't, I feel like I have a number of questions about that, but what, what is your takeaway from having spent time in all these places that, in some cases, frankly, nobody cares about? It is a, all, every place is unique. Um, the Aerojet facility, what happened was that Aerojet, they lost the space, they lost the space race. They, well, they lost the contract for NASA during the space race. Mm -hmm. And they decided that they were going to mothball the facility in hopes that maybe, maybe down the road, NASA will buy the contract for them and they could reopen it. Well, what happened was that NASA never did, mm -hmm. and Aerojet then sued the state of Florida, and the state of Florida eventually uh, gained control of the facility, and, you know, as with most abandoned properties owned by the state, it was just forgotten about because to them it's just a piece of paper. Yeah, it's just an, it's another entry on a spreadsheet of all the properties that are owned by the state. Yeah, and unless you're there in person and unless somebody higher up is there in person to tell others that, hey, maybe you want to check out this property. And even then, you need somebody that will actually n has an idea on what they want to do with the property turn mm -hmm. into a museum, uh, pull the rocket out, put on display, who knows. But to them, it's just a number, a piece of paper. So is that the thing for you is that, I guess, maybe putting, bringing back the reality of what these places is and kind of just shedding a light on them, even though they've been forgotten? Yeah, because a lot of these places are considered blight. Um... And blight is a is a is a pretty heavy term, especially in urban kind of landscapes. That it's always about you know we've got to fight the blight and yep. remove the blight. Yep. And to them, removing the blight is we're gonna demo everything, mm -hmm. and that is not a good idea. If you go to Jacksonville, um, are you familiar with Jacksonville and the history of Jacksonville? Yeah, actually, I've spent a lot of time in Jacksonville. I lived there for uh, almost 20 years and I would so yeah I've spent a lot of time in Jacks so the La Villa neighborhood mm -hmm. um, my sister actually works over there at Ritz Theater shout out to my sister <laughs> <laughs> so the La Villa neighborhood was a very prominent African-American um, neighborhood and a lot of famous uh, musicians and artists came out and came out of there you know mm -hmm. Ray Charles for one um, off the top of my head and once the crack coke the crack code cocaine epidemic in the 80s um devastated that neighborhood um that's when it was considered blight mm -hmm. and to fix that jacksonville said okay demolish it and now if you look at it on a, a satellite image it's mostly just parking lots now mm -hmm. 
and Jacksonville has not stopped demolishing places. No, just just the other day they uh, tore down um, a building where uh, I think it was the Cartouche Club was for many years. There's a beautiful mural. So, and it wasn't a place that was abandoned by any stretch of the imagination. It it was uh, had been recently used. They just tore down um, the fire station. I think number five in Riverside. Jacksonville has a terrible history, and not even a history, a terrible today of tearing down um, buildings, both old and relatively new. Rest in peace to the Jacksonville Landing. Yeah. Um, the old City Hall annex, for that was another one that they recently tore down. And it's all these buildings that, oh, then the Florida Baptist building, they're, recent, they're mm-hmm. um, going to tear that down next. Mm-hmm. Even though that is considered a historic building, and in the historic district, the National Register of Historic Places um, has this district laid out in Jacksonville, and they don't care because they just continue to demolish places there, and they just to them it's just blight. Mm-hmm. And is you're looking for these places. Sometimes you're doing the research. In a lot of cases, you're doing the research before you go in to figure out um, kind of where you want to go, what you want to see, how, of all the things you've researched, of all the places you've been, uh, what's the one that looked kind of, I guess the, I guess there was a more of a shock between the research and then actually seeing the place. Uh, there was a place in um, Orlando. It was called the Southeastern academy for tourism and oh i well it was a school for flight attendants and mm. people from that those careers and that's all i found out about it but when i went to explore it i found crosses and organs and mm. um bibles and muslim scriptures and I did. I further delved into the property owner that used to own it, and I found out that he was actually that school was shut down of his after the, you know, fight attendant school. Mm-hmm. He took it over, and he turned. He was arrested on terrorism charges, actual terrorism mm-hmm. charges, because he was taking the money from that and then funding terrorist organizations in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. So it was more, that's one of those places where on paper you see, okay, this is how it's laid out. This is school. Okay, I'm going to explore it. And then you go in and it's not, there's stuff that shouldn't belong. Mm-hmm. And it makes you look deeper into what's at, into the story. Mm-hmm. What's the story that you think this is telling about our society at this time writ large? All these abandoned places from funeral homes and old hotels and, um, I guess, other buildings that were once, I guess, academies for tourism becoming, I guess, uh, uh, religious schools of a sort. Um, what What's the theme in this story of abandoned places that you, that you would point out? That there is a major problem in this country having to do with bad infrastructure and that we also don't care for the people living in this country 
because if you look at it now, the pandemic, there's about to be 10, 20 million people, 30 million, yeah, maybe, if I recall, 30 million people that are out of work and that are going to be evicted right now, and those are, they're going to be homeless. And all these cities and regions don't have affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And you look around and you see all these abandoned buildings and you wonder why haven't the city done anything with these places? Why would they rather raise them than fix them up and put these homeless people back in there? Mm-hmm. Help them get a job. Help them. There's, the, these services aren't available to homeless people or people that are you know, low-income people. And the, I would say, looking at these buildings are a mirror of how we care about the people in this country. David, you have been stalked by wildlife. You have ventured into some pretty scary places, stepped in some things I'm sure you wish you hadn't ever stepped in, uncovered some pretty remarkable things while exploring abandoned places. What's the inspiration you take from seeing these places that have been left behind? My goal for, you know, photographing these places, documenting them and showcasing them to um, a large audience, um, is to inspire them to go out and push to fix these places, to care more about these places, because we live in a society where people care less about each other, and with that, the city suffers for it. We, you know, we're in a pandemic, and everybody's like, you know, we'll get through this together, we're in this together, we should be in this together from the very start, not when the pandemic is over and then everybody's off for themselves again. We should stay together from now on. Mm-hmm. And that includes not only the buildings, but for the people, we should care for the people. And like I said, the blight that people see in these cities is just a mirror for how the city cares for its people. Like Jacksonville, for example, they would rather demolish these buildings. And if you go to Jacksonville, just drive downtown on a Sunday, Saturday morning, and you will find no less than 20, 30 groups of homeless people. Mm-hmm. And it makes you wonder, could have Jacksonville fixed up these buildings instead of demolishing them and help these people out that are in them in their city mm-hmm. instead of treating them like outsiders so i just want to inspire people to look at the history learn the history of these places and work to make their community a better community and you've been able to achieve that with the Lear Tower, the Thomas Jefferson Hotel, uh, once an abandoned place. Uh, you you got to explore that and take some pictures, and that has since been uh, remodeled and revitalized as a place where people are living again. Uh, yeah, I explored uh, Lear Tower back in 2012. Um, the realtor at the time, he had a bright idea where he wanted to 
not pay anyone and instead just give photographers permission to explore this abandoned building and these photos will be posted online and then people en masse will see these photos mm -hmm. and it would inspire at least someone out there is going to be inspired to fix up this place and eventually it did and now it's reopened as tj tower it's an apartment complex right now and that place had been abandoned for the better part of almost 50 years, 40 years. It was, it, I guess, went unused in the 70s. And it was like a time capsule, you said, when you first walked in. Uh, yeah, there was still stuff from the 70s, you know, tacky wallpaper, shag carpeting, mirrored bathrooms, um, leopard skin, couches. You name it. If it's tacky and awful looking from the 70s, whatever you can imagine, it was in there. Mm -hmm. And having gone back to see that place now as someplace where folks are living, what does that make you feel? It made me feel relieved that the place was actually saved um, instead of demolished or destroyed like so many other buildings because what people say the greenest building you know that's a whole trend right now green buildings mm -hmm. the greenest buildings are the ones that we already have mm -hmm. and also it was a marvel at the time and i'm glad that they didn't demolish it and a lot of cities do this now where they demolish a building and then put a plaque saying this is what used to be here mm -hmm. And it's very ironic or slap in the face, in my opinion, because to me, it's saying, but you were the ones that demolished it. Mm -hmm. Why are you putting this plaque up? You didn't care about this building. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, why? Like, I mean, if they wanted the building, if they wanted to remember the building, they had a great memorial, the building <laughs> itself. Yeah. But... Um, how do how do you see this changing? Do you think cities are becoming more sensitive to the value of these old places? Do uh, you, among you and your colleagues what are what are the conversations like when uh, as you're talking about the places that are out there? Maybe some that you've explored or want to explore. Does it seem like there's more care or less care, or does it just vary from place to place? There is more eyes on these places. It's just not. It's not more care because people cities are still demolishing places on a regular place on a regular um pace and there's not more care there's just more eyes and more news on these places and the cities are being more shamed mm. for demolishing these places you know going back to jacksonville um my friends over at jacksonville mag or the Jackson Mag, rather. Um, they are constantly shaming the city of Jacksonville for demolishing all these historic buildings. Mm -hmm. And really shaming these uh, city officials actually does get the job done a lot of times. Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, I want to say that you're doing some phenomenal work and taking on some some pretty substantial risk in some cases to uh, explore these places that, uh, as I said at the intro, all too often we go by without thinking. 
what's coming down the pipeline for you? Or do you have a list of places that you're itching to get to right now? You're kind of on a big road trip uh, here in Tampa, headed back through Jacksonville, going back through Alabama on your way to Indiana. Um, what can we look forward to seeing with Abandoned Florida? For Abandoned Florida, I have uh, another book coming out, Abandoned South Florida, um, dealing with the places that we have actually lost in South Florida. Um, the stadiums that we have down there, the missile facilities, um, places such as that where I have pushed in the past to preserve and people have pushed in the past to preserve also, but the city decides that they want a highway instead. Hmm. Um, from me, a side, a side project from abandoned Florida, I have an abandoned Montgomery book coming out mm -hmm. on abandoned places in Montgomery, Alabama. And I'm currently working on a book on Gary, Indiana, which is one of those cities where 50%, 60% of the city is abandoned. Mm -hmm. What is, how is that different? Being down here in Tampa or Jacksonville, it's... It's still a bustling kind of place, but Gary, more than like half the city is abandoned. How does that level of abandonment impact the place? It's a lot more crime, a lot more. Well, first off, cops don't care about people exploring abandoned places there because <laughs> they have a lot bigger problems there. Um, there's no jobs, there's no. You know, people are saying, what can be fixed? How do you fix Gary? And that is a very difficult question because nobody there has money. Mm -hmm. No one, crime is so high there. It's one of the most dangerous cities in the nation. And because of that, there's no money. There's no, the crime is so high. There's no jobs. Um, and the people suffer for it. And it's just a constant cycle of... These people don't have money, don't have jobs. They're going to increase the crime, and that crime increases the fact that there's no jobs and money. I was just going to say it seems like a very cyclical that uh, when a company or even not necessarily a company wants to come in, but when somebody wants to build a business and they're looking for, you know, they don't want to build a business in a high crime area. Yeah. So that just kind of feeds back into the fact that there's no businesses there to create jobs. What kind of buildings and things do you see as abandoned in Gary? This is, I guess, part of the Rust Belt. Uh, a lot of the American manufacturing that's disappeared has disappeared from places like Gary. Is that what you're seeing? A lot of old factories, manufacturing facilities? Really, it was only the big U.S. steel facilities that uh, when they shut down and China took over. All, all, most of our steel does come from China. And... That has a downward effect, a trickle effect, where that big hub of jobs and money shut down. And so the entire downtown district, theaters, um, restaurants, just businesses, government businesses, uh, department stores, um, churches, you name it. All of that suffered and then shut down along with the downtown because, as I said before, crime was so high that people were getting stabbed in the theater lobby. Mm. And that's actually why it was called the Palace Theater in 
Gary, Indiana. You could look it up. There's tons of photos of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it shut down after someone, a woman was uh, attacked in the bathroom and then another person was stabbed in the theater lobby. Mm-hmm. So. And what I just comes to mind for me in this moment is that when we start to take better care of these places and each other, like we have to do both. Like when we talk about how do we make things better, taking care of one another on a human level is important, but we also have to take care of the places that we, the, that we live, work and play. And um, not, not every building can be saved, but it certainly seems like there's a, a ways to go. And, you know, if there's a place like uh, funeral homes, you know, these mausoleums, uh, wonderful museums and these historical buildings that have been around for 60, 70 plus years. These are certainly places that that should and could be saved. And they have good bones. You know, there is a reason why a lot of these buildings have been around for upwards to 100 years. Mm-hmm. They have good bones, and if they can last a hundred years and upwards to thirty, forty years of being abandoned, then they can surely be saved. But like you said, a lot of them can't be saved. A lot of them are too far gone to mm-hmm. be saved. But I would say the majority can. Mm-hmm. Well, David, I want to wish you well as you continue to explore abandoned places. I hope that you stay safe and avoid the avoid the lions and the boar. And uh, I look forward to seeing the next chapter of Abandoned Florida. Thank you. Empty homes, empty homes, bare walls and blank halls that if if it takes a heart to make a house a home can a heart be a home when there is no house if the walls could whisper would they speak of love between mrs and mr of games between brother and sister would they speak in a somber tone of a family gone empty homes still as tombstones what dream died here Still inside, no echoes, where footsteps once fell, now dust lies. Did they succumb to lies about loans and their choice of homes? Was it crass financial witchcraft cast with a pen's pass? Were the residents reckless or pink slipped and rendered paycheckless? Was the home a domino and things to go? Last in line behind the furniture and blinds, sold to secure a foothold, left only with the ties to bind. Is the home now owned by a bank? Black ink on a bottom line sold like penny rolls 50 at a time. Empty homes, bare as bones. Were you a warm place for weary bones? Empty homes, empty homes. So that is a poem that I wrote several years ago when I took up an odd job. Uh, actually tending to homes that were left vacant by the housing bubble that burst. This is Backpage. This is a place where I just like to give a little bit of insight and additional um, kind of final thoughts about the episode of Journeyman's Journal. And uh, poetry is my first creative love and something I like to include in my podcast whenever possible. And um 
again, that poem was something I wrote after going to dozens of houses, cutting grass, cleaning them up, um, just checking on the properties to make sure they were okay. And uh, it became a real issue after during the housing crisis that all of these homes were left empty. And I couldn't help but think about all the people that um, lived in those places before they were um, just, you know, it was another job to be done. You know, I was working for someone who managed any number of these properties for the bank to keep them in good shape. And, um, you know, I just uh, it just struck me, you know, as somebody I've lost a home to fire. I moved more than a a few times in my life. And um, having those that anchor a place you call home is a powerful thing. And um it just stuck with me in this moment, thinking about abandoned places that um, a lot of the places that I see abandoned now did used to be home. When we traveled recently for the Christmas holidays and we kind of towed the line between vacation and isolation, we went on a road trip and did outdoor activities. But as we drove through the the countryside and I love to get off the highway and see the rest of the country, there's always these barns and overgrown buildings and little convenience stores and, of course, homes that are just left. And especially in the far out places, the smaller towns and rural areas, these are spaces where people aren't really coming back to. So it's very easy for a property to get abandoned. You know, it's left to somebody who doesn't live in the area, has no intention of going back. Um, maybe they can't even afford to take care of it. And I think it's a reality we're going to have to contend with, especially with the trend that I mentioned earlier about more people living in uh, urban areas versus rural, that there's still going to be a lot of places and property and homes and things that are out there. And uh, what do we do with all these places? Just something to think about. As always, I hope you enjoyed this journey and I'll catch you next time. Mm -hmm.